what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh, learn, and win, and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find us on TheMesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check out all the other shows on TheMesh.tv, all produced here in Western North Carolina. On today's episode, folks, I am really pleased to be joined by a good friend, good guest of mine today is Mr. Sean Humphreys from Elite Performance. Uh, Sean, you are a legend, man. You have a <laughs> lot of, uh, of accolades, and it would take me about half the show to kind of go all, all the way down your, your accolades. But, man, I thank you for joining us today, and let's chat some good golf and really let the listeners in on who you are and, and, uh, and all the things that you've accomplished. So you said you're down in uh, Florida today, and the weather's really nice down there. Um, you, are you getting ready to go on a, on a big journey here with your coaching? Where, t- tell me where you're, you're headed here shortly. Yeah, um, heading out to this, uh, this week, we'll be on the road for about 10 days. And, you know, what's interesting is, is where I'm headed to is it's really not golf related, which is really interesting. It's really just performance related. And I'm headed to um, Hurricane Mills, Tennessee for the Loretta Lynn uh, World Championship Motocross okay. Championships. And um, I'm going to be there for the entire week. Uh, I coach one of the, the riders. Uh, his name is Matthew LeBlanc. He's the number one rider in the world. He's won 60 national titles, and he's 16 years wow. old. And so, um, you know, our whole performance training has morphed in from it started in golf. Actually, it started at the Olympic level, and it morphed to golf. And, you know, I do work with uh, with Sean Payton down in New Orleans, and uh, I've got pitchers for the Washington Nationals. And now it's morphed into motocross, but I've got probably, you know, Alan, I've got probably one of the largest remote coaching platforms in the world. Uh, we coach athletes from all over the world with our curriculum right. in golf. So, uh, that's that's a large piece too. So I enjoy the mix-up, and uh, because it really challenges sure. me intellectually, and uh, because the things that we're doing is applicable from all sports across the board. And you, you listeners know that some of you have played multiple right. sports, and um, so yeah, it's it's pretty cool, man. I get to go uh, I get to go get really dirty for about a week. <laughs> well, you know? have you had any experience with motor uh, cross yourself? Did you have a a motorbike growing up or is this all brand new? Yeah, I did. I, uh, yeah, I rode dirt bikes yep. as a young kid and, you know, but you know, what's interesting is, I mean, I, I'm, I, and I love motorcycles and I, I'm a cycle okay. owner myself. And, and what's interesting is, is that, you know, if you look at motocross, I mean, basically it's track and field with a motor between right. your legs. And so the strategies, you know, for every turn, every jump, um, you know, the preparation that goes behind that, you know, these, these athletes are following the Olympic training model that I spent 10 years with at the Olympic level. Uh, and it's the same thing I do with the golfers and it's the same thing that we do, uh, with pitching and, and it's about, you know, growing the self image of the athlete. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that there's, there's three performance indicators in human performance just across the board. Okay. And the first is, how does it, how a person thinks in a stressful situation is going to have an indication on their performance. Mm-hmm. And the second is how a person has trained in their sport or in their area of expertise, how they've prepared for that competition is going to have an indication of how they perform. And then the third one that nobody talks about is the, the reinforcement. And the reinforcement is the critical piece that drives your self-image. All three of these drive your self-image and your self-image is the sum of your habits and your attitudes. It's your area of comfort that we like to operate in. And when we get outside that area of comfort, we retract. And so your reinforcement, what you reinforce, what you think about, what you talk about, what you write about, 
improves the probability of that happening. And so, you know, let's say after you hit a golf shot, what should you do? What should you reinforce? Should you reinforce anything? Um, and actually you should. And in training, you know, your, your training should replicate that. It's like, okay, if I hit a shot, that's great. I should replicate that same movement again, because those are imprints towards your self image. And if you hit a shot that needs work, why we don't ever use the term bad. Uh, we don't use any negative comments at all. So if the shot needs work, what needs work? What solutions need to be put in place? So now it becomes more solutions-based training as opposed to problem-based mm -hmm. training. And so those imprints, those solutions should be put in place immediately in your training and when you're competing. Fantastic. And so those solutions are transferable across the board. And, and reinforcement is... It's really how you change performance. It really is. So, you know, EPS, Elite Performance System, is really based on those three performance indicators, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and we work across the board in, 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 in multi multiple sports, uh, but it really started in golf from the, from the Olympic Well, you've level. really you've, you've created a system, and I think that's really the important aspect to training is there's a systematic way to go about anything to become elite. And, uh, and your, your company name, Elite Performance Systems, kind of sums all that up. It's a systematic approach to training elite performance. Uh, and as you mentioned, there's, a, there's a, a number of things that have to happen for the athlete or the performer to uh, perform at their highest level. I mean, this is something that's been about a probably 30-plus year process for you to develop. I know didn't come right. out overnight. Take us back a little bit and, and along your journey. I mean, as a golf instructor is kind of where you started coaching, I'm assuming. Is that, was golf the first sport you coached? Yeah, it is. Um, it is. And, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, just north of Tulsa in a small town of about 2,500 people. And it was a unique community. We had a lot of activities. We had a nine hole golf course. Mm -hmm. um, we had an eight lane bowling alley. Uh, we had a billiards parlor that had two snooker tables and eight regulation size pool tables. We had a, we had a community swimming pool and we had community tennis courts and we had dirt tracks that we could ride on motocross. And you didn't, there was no reason to leave That's heaven yeah. as a kid growing up. Right. <laughs> it, it really is. And, uh, I got into golf and I mean, our golf club was really kind of our local honky tonk, yeah. you know, and, uh, there was always tractor trailers and pickup trucks and people playing and overalls and boots and man it was a great way to grow up and that's kind of how i grew up playing the game i, I hadn't i'd never seen a driving range before because i just learned to start playing the game yeah and developed a decent game and uh, afforded me to play college golf and when i got into college when i got into college you know things started kind of changing a little bit I'd, I'd, I'd played pretty decent in college but i would have these highs and lows you know mm -hmm. i'd shoot a low number one day then a high number the next mm -hmm. i'd shoot a a low front nine and a high back nine make X amount of birdies in a row followed up by X amount of bogeys in a row. And it was really, it's like, man, why does all this happen? Mm -hmm. Right. Why do these highs and lows and these ups and downs? And, um, I would just, I would continue to train harder than anybody else, train longer, hit more balls, stay out later and work on my game. And, and I found myself, you know, I would overtry in competition. So, you know, that's really, Overtrying has caused more good competitors to lose competitions than any other form of mental error. Mm -hmm. And that was the paradigm that I was living in. And I'm telling you, that recipe didn't work. And so I majored in education. And when I got out, I taught for my first year out. And then I turned professional. And my numbers did get lower uh, because I didn't have as many obstacles. Mm -hmm. And but what was interesting is I still had those highs and lows. I could shoot 67, but then it was 74. And then I would come back with a 70, then it was a 75. And man, that's just, what's interesting is, is and, I, and I visited a lot of coaches mm -hmm. um, around the world, and everyone just wanted to work on the technical piece. Right. And I'm like, man, this isn't technical. I had course records. I could, you know, I shot back-to-back -back 64s in, in, in one day in a qualifying, and I knew it was more than just working on the tech technical piece. Mm -hmm. And so it drove me out of playing professional golf and you'll like this. This is pretty funny. So when I, I, I went into teaching and so what did I do? I became a really good technical coach <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> because 
that's what we did, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we still do. It's the paradigm that we live in. And unfortunately, it's extremely archaic and antiquated because it's not the way other sports are taught and trained and coached. Right. And I had players win all around the world. And you know what? I couldn't even tell you why they won. Yeah. I mean, I just always went to the technical piece. The most important piece is I couldn't tell you why they lost. Mm-hmm. And I would just always go back to their swing and, oh, man, you're hitting it great. Okay, come back and see me when it gets off track. I mean, really, that, I mean, that's what we live in. Sure. sure. And, and I knew there was a better way because no one was training their athletes for high-stakes situations. They're, no one's training had higher consequences than the competition. Right. But they do in all the other sports. And so I got really frustrated with it. And I really just got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was building my youth academy at that time. Now we're looking at early 2000s. And I knew I knew I had to get outside of my sport. And about that time, Bill Parcells, who was, um, you know, one of the top football coaches in the country, was mm-hmm. came to Dallas and Jerry Jones introduced me to Bill. And Bill played golf and we spent some time together and I just asked a lot of questions. He's like, man, you sure do ask a lot of questions. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I said, Bill, I said, I, I need to learn to train my athletes for high stick situations. He goes, you don't know how to do that. And I said, I don't have a clue. He goes, really? I said, no, I don't. And I said, I don't know anyone that does in my sport. Now I know they do it in all the different sports and martial arts and bo- boxing and wrestling mm-hmm. and all the Olympic sports. And he goes, well, I said, I know you do it. And I said, you rebuild franchises. And he goes, yeah. And so he goes, why don't you come in the NFL? So I did. And uh, at that time, Sean Payton was his quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. And the late Tony Sperano was his defensive line coach. And Mike Zimmer was his defensive coordinator. And Todd Haley was his receivers coach. So I spent a lot of time with these guys. And I started bringing these concepts back into my academy, right? Because everything was defined. It was measured. It was timed. There's no random, aimless stuff going on. Oh my gosh, performance just started showing up. It was insane. And I knew I was on to something. Mm-hmm. I knew I knew I was on to something. And that went on for about three years. And um, and I knew I needed to get to a higher level. I mean, I didn't even know what performance was. And it was in the name of my business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just and I asked people, you know, I get an array of answers from everyone and definitions of performance and none of them ever matched. And, and I knew I needed to get to the Olympic level because that's, that's, that's where the best happens because they're, they're sacrificing their life for, um, four years and they're for a giving single up performance yeah. for a, one performance for yeah. one performance. You're exactly right. Yeah. And that's a hard place to crack into. Right. I mean, I'm, I've sure. got no relationship with the Olympic piece. I'm, about as close to the Olympics as California is to New York, you know? <laughs> and, but out of the blue, um, one of my good friends, I'd coached his son for several years, called me and says, Hey, I've got an introduction to an Olympic coach. I'm like, Holy cow. So, um, he introduced me to coach Basham and, um, I kind of explained to him what my frustrations were and where I was. And, and he, he asked, he kind of said, you know, I, 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 I get it, Sean. He goes, I get it. And he said, can we come watch you train? I said, sure. So he came and watched his train. And he asked, he says, where did you learn to train like this? And I told him in the NFL. And he said, who in the NFL? And I said, Bill Parcells. He goes, you're very close to training like Olympians. I said, really? I said, I knew I was onto something because their performance was starting to change. And so that really kind of helped me have an end with Coach Basham. And so he goes, Sean, he goes, I was like you. He goes, I got frustrated and sick and tired of being sick and tired. He goes, it was just back in the 1960s. He goes, I knew I could beat these guys at the gold medal, but they were doing something that I couldn't see. And I could beat them in uh, world championships and qualifyings and all that. But when it came down, he goes, I'd won the bronze, I'd won the silver. And he goes, I just got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. He goes, and I did this while I was an Olympian. And he goes, I just started interviewing all the gold medalists. And he goes, I started asking them all the same questions. And I had access to them. I had access to the coaches. And he goes, it was interesting. He goes, all these answers started showing up. And we all followed the training model, the direct affirmation model, the goal planning model. And 
you know, he says, then I really started understanding what you should think about before the action. And it needs to be defined. It needs to be measured. It needs to be timed. And you have to be able to replicate it over and over again in your training. And you have to test it all the time at its highest level with the intensity and the pressure and the anxiety and misery so that it becomes like you to do something that you haven't done before. And he goes, I started building the systems. I defined the principles. I built the steps. I built the framework. I replicated it and duplicated it. And he went and won a gold medal that stood for decades and set 25 world records. And Mm. I spent 10 years training with him. And I brought everything down from the Olympic level into my academy, everything. And I was, I'd, I'd won the lottery and and then I begged him to come train in our academy, and he, he did, and I had to pay the piper, and it was probably one of my best investments ever. And, and over a 17-year period, 100% of our graduating seniors were offered scholarships, and we'd won right under 1,500 titles around the country. Wow, and so, that's just domination. Well, <clears throat> what's interesting is, is that what I, <clears throat> what I realized is, is that If you have a system, you have to test it and you have Mm -hmm. to test it over and over and over again. But you have to have a laboratory. And I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to have that laboratory with 150 athletes. And so I was constantly testing this all the time, the think piece, the training piece, the reinforcement piece. And then that's when it kind of morphed into where it is today with elite performance systems. So in the last six years, I rolled this out to the college space and we now have 30 universities around the country running the systems and do a lot of consulting on that piece as well. And, um, helping, you know, college uh, says like, like if I can run this system with 150 athletes in a charter type school, surely you can run it with a 12 man team, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so it has, and now it's grown into this remote coaching platform because we built the curriculum, right. And it's, you know, everything's, built out completely. And so now we do remote coaching. We probably have, you know, the largest remote coaching platform in the world. I've got athletes in New Zealand and Sweden and all through Asia, all through the United States, and it continues to grow. And with, with COVID, you know, setting everybody back, um, it actually grew our business. And Mm -hmm. that's an, that's an interesting piece too, is that, you know, everybody was sent home and I made sure that, I reached out to every parent and reassured them that this was going to be the best thing that ever happened to them. And they're looking at me like I have three heads. And so I made sure everybody had their training equipment. We set it up with vendors and they had their hitting nets or chipping pads or chipping nets, um, everything. And I said, the reason this is going to work is because you're going to replicate training like an Olympian. Olympians isolate and master the steps of performing well. That's what performance is. Right. They isolate and master the steps of performing well. And that's what training is. And then what they do in competition is just execute those steps. So they're in they're in these hotbeds, they're at the Olympic training facilities, they're removed from mainstream, they don't have any contact with anybody, and so they're isolated. And I said, you've got an opportunity to isolate. And you know what? The results have been unbelievable. I mean, I had athletes that hadn't teed it up in eight, 10, 12 weeks going out and shooting under par for the first time in their life and having personal Mm -hmm. bests. And they're like, Oh my gosh, coach, we're not even focused on outcome anymore. We're just, Mm -hmm. we're just focused on the steps of performing and executing and that's it. So, um, that's kind of where we are today. That's a very fascinating uh, look into what, what the elite performance systems does for players is gives them the framework and and you mentioned that and the framework obviously that isolation is a big deal I've seen young players who are you know distracted by the social connection of their friends and they don't they don't progress Uh, they get trapped into hanging out on the range and leaning on the golf club and they think that's practice and uh, I was it's funny story I was sitting on on a bench watching about 70 plus junior golfers uh, hit some putts on a putting green before a junior tournament. And uh, one of my friends who's a Division One coach here in North Carolina sat down beside me. We hadn't seen each other in a while, so we began talking. And I just looked up and I looked at all these young kids. And one one kid was hitting putts in a, in a drill-like environment by himself. And the 
remainder of the kids were all leaning on their putters, talking to each other. And I said, who do you think is going to be prepared to play golf today? <laughs> it's like it was so apparent that this one kid was working and training and these other kids were just jaw flapping. And it's like, what is going on in these kids' minds? The majority of them are not uh, They're not managing not the imprints, right? They're not managing the environment. And then the, the challenge right. is they've never been taught how to do it, right? We expect, right. you know, right. um, Bill Parcells told yeah. me this a long time ago. He said, Sean, he goes, the second you assume an athlete knows, it's seconds too late. That's brilliant. And... So as long as they're in our corral and training, we're on them and right. we're on them 24 seven because it's not their fault that they've ever, they've never been taught to do this. I mean, you know, you talk about the paradigm that we operate in. The first thing that we do is we start working on the technical piece of the game and we start teaching them how to swing a golf club, but we never teach them what to think about before. We never right. te teach them what to think about during and we never teach them what to think about afterwards. It's always an afterthought. And, you know, you, you've, you've done it. And we talk to all these athletes and I interview them all. And I said, tell me what percentage of the, of the game is, is mental. And everyone says 90% or higher. And that's in every sport. But why is sure. it that 90% of the time you're spent on working on the technical aspects of your game and none of it's spent on the mindset piece? Sure. Yeah, I refer to it, uh, you know, as pre-shot routine, the shots execution, and the after shot. And, and generally speaking, uh, I want the player to have a framework for all three of those uh, pieces of the puzzle, so to speak. And in the after shot, uh, I call it the A's of the after shot. And it's, this, this is my country boy way of putting this together. But I say, you know, a lot of people choose anger and aggravation as their A's of the after shot. I said, if, you, if you're going to choose anger and aggravation, you're going to be angry and aggravated with your golf game for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and so the A's that I want them to kind of use, I want them to be aware. Uh, and I want them to be able to ask themselves and answer questions about the performance of the last shot. As you referred to it, uh, I believe you said that the shot needs work. What about the shot needs work? Yeah. What's, what the solution? What's the solution? Things? What's the solution? Yeah. And so that's a form of analyzing the shot. Right. You're analyzing for a solution. And so now the, if you were given a second attempt, what would you alter or adjust? Right. So what this does, okay, from a conscious mind, subconscious, and self-image standpoint, it occupies the conscious mind so that you cannot think about outcome. And you're immediately, because the conscious mind can only have one thought at a time. So mm -hmm. if you're, it's designed to occupy the conscious mind and focus on the solutions that grow the self-image. That's what this is designed to do. Everything that you do mm -hmm. better be about growing your self-image. Because it's the sum of your habits and your attitudes. I mean, the challenge of it is, is that your, your self-image controls your technical performance. And people don't even realize sure. that. And sure. people think that, you know, they're coming down the stretch. And so if I'm a 75 shooter and I'm three under par and it's not like me to shoot under par and I'm three under, I'm going to figure out how to shoot 75 because that's where I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the challenge of it is, is that they say, oh my gosh, I lost my golf swing coming down the stretch. And you know, they went double, double, you know, bogey and they three putted the last hole. They run to the driving range to go hit balls and they realize, oh, I didn't lose my golf swing. What you lost was mm -hmm. your ability to control your thoughts in a stressful situation because it's not like you to shoot under par. So what's interesting mm -hmm. is, is that what I learned at, at the Olympic level is that it's not about stats it's not about averages. Those are the worst things that you can put in front of athletes. And here's the reason why. It's because they're not brain compatible. Why? Because those numbers have never been performed because they're averages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but at the Olympic level, their focus is on personal best. Personal best of the day, the week, the month, the year, the quarter, 
what have you, in the mm-hmm. entire year. Why? Because if I perform a personal best, I actually did that. I did that number. That's me. That grows mm-hmm. the self-image. And so Beautiful. if you really want to stagnate the self-image or actually shrink the self-image, just talk about averages and, and all that. I mean, think about this for a second. If you look at a stat sheet and you add up all the averages and you look at the bottom and you have all these totals and you imprint all these averages, what do you become? You become average. average. Olympians yeah. are not average. That's, that's great. And right, they're not looking for average. They don't no, care about because averages. I mean, think about it. Is like, is it is it normal to win a gold medal? No. I mean, no. So they've got to grow their self image and their skill set at the same time, so it becomes like them to win a gold medal. And mm-hmm. you know, in in the paradigm that we live in, we don't even we don't even take care of the self-image and you have to grow skill at the same time that you grow self-image because if you want it to become like you to do something that you haven't done before you have to train like it's you to do something that you haven't done before that's right and your training has to have higher consequences than the competition i mean i ask athletes all the time i said okay where are you miserable in are you miserable are you miserable in training or are you miserable in competition I'm like, well, I'm miserable in competition. Hmm. Okay, so we get, so I hear this all the time. Oh, I had fun in training today. It was great. We did this, 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 and this. Well, you perform the way that you train, and you train the way that you perform. Sure. Your training has to have consequences. You've got to struggle. It's got to be miserable. You've got to push yourself outside your area of comfort. You've got to get very comfortable at being uncomfortable. But Mm-hmm. You, the, the key is, is that we spend so much time on the technical piece and spend so much time on outcome that we don't even understand the steps of performing. And we don't even know how to control our thoughts before the action, during or after. And is it defined? Is it measured? Is it timed? I mean, we spend so much time working on the technical piece, we never even test it. It's like, oh, you're hitting it great now. Go work on it. Go work on it. Go work on what? Mm-hmm. They don't know. I mean, I, I've never gotten an answer except from one person. I asked him, said, tell me what you look like on game day. Never gotten an answer. Tell me what you look like <laughs> the week before. Tell me what you look like two weeks out. Four weeks out, six weeks, eight, 24, 32, 52 weeks. What do you look out? What do you look like the year out? What are the goals? I mean, the goal planning model is, is critical. I mean, most people don't even know how to set goals. Most people just play around mm-hmm. with it. And most of the time, you're going to get beat mm-hmm. by people that set goals. And if you don't know what it looks like on game day, then you probably need to ask your coach because if they don't know what it needs to look like on game day, you're probably both in trouble. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how how similar is it to the simple game that kids played as as elementary students in class with with a uh, a broomstick pole and teacher held it up and said we're going to play a game of limbo. Yeah. And so that limbo stick, it starts out really high. Every kid in class gets under the limbo stick on the first round through. And all of a sudden that limbo stick starts coming down and they start dropping out, dropping out, dropping out. Then the last kid under that limbo stick is is the winner. And so is it like your training needs to continue to lower that limbo stick until you bump your head? You need to find out where that is in every aspect of your game. Um, Keep lowering the bar. In other words, making the challenge more and more and more difficult until you're uncomfortable. I I agree. I mean, I ask athletes this all the time. I say, look, do you work on your four-footers or five-footers? And I'm like, they're like, yeah. I said, so tell me this. So if you work on it, what's your personal best? How many did you make in a row and when did you do it? And they can't tell you. So okay, do you work do you work on distance putting? I I, I do. 
And I, I, I have these interviews all the time with athletes. I say, okay, great. So tell me at 40 feet, what's your personal best of consecutive two putts in a row at different intervals with different strategies? What's, what's your personal best and when, you, when did you do it? And they're like, coach, I don't even train like that. I'm like, okay, so you have a good short game? And they say, yeah, it's pretty good. I said, so tell me this. What's your personal best of consecutive up and downs in a row at different intervals around the green, not the same spot? What's your personal best? And also, what's your personal best of overall total in one training session? I'm like, coach, I don't even train to get up and down. I'm like, okay, if we don't measure it, how do we manage it? And if we don't manage it, how do you raise the level of the training that has the intensity that raises the level of the pressure and the anxiety and the consequences? Right. Can't be done. Right. I used to work in a retail store, and I used to tell this old school retail store owner, before we were on computer and had every piece of inventory in the computer, I said, you know, your business would run a lot smoother if you had data to work from, from a computer. He said, I know what I have in inventory. I said, well, what do we have in certain guitar strings? It was a guitar store. He said, well, we got 12 boxes of strings right there. I said, well, okay, so are we low or are we high? He says, what do you mean? I said, well, how many have we sold in the last 30 days? At what profit margin? Are we losing money on that inventory item? Are we making money? Do we need to have more than 12? What's the sellout rate of that particular guitar string? He goes, I don't need to know that. He said, when I look up there and I'm getting low, I'll order some more. I said, well, are we low? He said, well, I think 12 boxes is enough to hold us through the weekend. I said, well, the reality is we have 40 boxes of strings. You got 12 sitting up there and you got the rest sitting in the back room. You didn't even know you had. I said, on a computer, you'd look right there and know exactly what you had. You'd know yourself through. And he said, kids, you may have a, a point there. So it's measuring everything. And we, today's a measuring society. You know, you measure everything. Why don't athletes? But it's measuring the right things, right? Measuring the right and, things. And, you know, everybody measures outcome. And, you know, outcome and training is, 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 is good to a certain extent. But measuring outcome and performance is not how you change performance. I mean, you can take an eight-year-old kid and say, okay, I want you to sit on this hole or I want you to follow this player and I want you to tell me how many fairways he hits how many greens and regulations that he hits? Tell me how many putts that he has. Tell me how many up and downs that he has and where they were. I mean, anyone can measure that. And that's what we measure is outcome. But nobody measures the why. Nobody measures why that shot went where it did. And at the Olympic level, it is all about the why. And they measure the steps of performing. So, how was the strategy? I mean, there's three things that set up the, the uh, set up at great execution. The strategy, the commitment to the strategy, and the commitment phase. Those three. If you don't if you're not a hundred percent on all of those, it's going to affect your execution. Yep. Bottom line. And so everybody's measuring outcome as opposed to Okay, why? Well, you know what, Coach? I'm, you know, and, and we do a, we have a, an extremely detailed round analysis that we use with our athletes, and it takes them through these six steps of performing, and they have to go through on every single shot how those six steps were managed and how well they did, because it sets up everybody measures the execution or outcome, but what they don't realize is is that it's like well. Coach, I hit it. I hit it left in the water, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. What was the strategy? Well, there was water down the left side. I said, you're done. Mm -hmm. You already told me what, where you were going to hit it. <laughs> right. Yep. No, no, no. But I said no because you were worried about. It. I said, tell you, tell me where you want to go. Tell me where you're intended to go. Well, I wanted to hit it in the fairway, but I was worried about hitting it left. But okay, so that's what the imprint is. And you can't clear that from your mind. You know, it's funny is, and you've done it too. I mean, I spent a lot of years out on, uh, out on the tour and what drives, what drove me nuts was, is that all, all of them do it. All tour players say, well, this is where you want to miss it. It's not going to be part of their process. They're going to tell you exactly 
what they're going to do and where it's going to go. They're going to give you all the details, and this is exactly what I'm going to do. Well, if that's where you're going to miss it, go ahead and hit it there. Right. Good point. You know, I mean, good point. If you can't commit, you're you're. It's going to be challenging, but you have to be taught how to do sure. it. We have to teach these very cautious decision-making athletes, these kids, you know, to learn how to make confident decisions separate from their natural ability or their area of competency. And they have to be taught how to build strategies. They have to be taught how to struggle. And that misery is good for you. I mean, teaching struggle is a lost art. And, you know, you and I growing up, it was the best art we ever learned Mm -hmm. was being taught how to struggle and that it's okay that nobody runs to you to help you and that you have to figure it out on your own. And, I mean, that's the that's the world that we live in right now is that, you know, all these young kids are very cautious, fearful decision makers. Now, think about this is that if you start growing that and you get them to somewhat be a little bit more confident, that grows their self-image. So there's two separate, right? you got the profile of a very cautious, fearful decision maker. Then you've got a self-image that's very small. They, they feed off of one another. And if you can get them to make more confident decisions separate from their natural ability, I'm talking about just a simple, we use the exercise all the time when I, when I was running my academy, I have a, a you know a young girl and say, look, this is all I want you to do this week. I want you to go home and I want you to ask your mom if you can empty the dishwasher when it gets dirty. That's all I want you to do. She goes, really? I said, yeah, that's all I want you to do. And I, I clued their parents in on what we were doing. And so a few days went by. She came back. I said, how's the dishwasher? She goes, I did it. I said, really? I said, you asked your mother? She goes, yeah. I said, what happened? She goes, she thanked me profusively. So now what's that doing? It's growing the self-image, right? Because you're getting positive imprints. But she also made the confident decision to ask and say, look, I want to do this. I want to help you. I said, okay, now, I said, I want you to continue doing the dishwasher. And I said, next, I want you to ask your mom if you can can clean the kitchen. Hmm. And so she did. And I said, how'd it go? And she goes, oh, my gosh. She goes, it was amazing. I said, what was amazing about it? She goes, it was, you know, she goes, it gave me confidence because I'm doing something that I am taking control of. I'm like, yes. I said, how'd your mom respond to it? She was like, she was calling all of her friends. She couldn't believe it. She was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, so now the self-image grew, right? So we're talking about growing things outside of the golf course, mm-hmm. bringing balance to these young athletes' lives. That's so important. Then it went, okay, now let's talk to your dad. Say, look, dad, I want to help you sweep out the garage. Mm -hmm. And it just kept growing. And so then all of a sudden, now it's transferring back to the golf course that, okay, now when we teach them how to build strategies and commit to the strategies and then in the commitment phase and running the mindset program and executing and reinforcing, they get it. And that's, that's how you can, that's, I mean, that's, that's been, that's, that's been a huge education for me. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, that, that's why you're, uh, you're off on these journeys and going to all these different countries and teaching and all these different sports, because, uh, you understand the process and you, you've got a very, very unique position in, in the industry, um, where you've put it into a system and, uh, and your studies are obviously paying dividends to your clients. So, Let's talk a little bit about how your year is going to pan out. I know with um, with uh, sports kind of sitting, several sports sitting on the bench at the moment, um, we're looking at football and what's going to happen there. I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting. You know, I, I, we're going to looks like we're going to try to move forward with it. Um, baseball's got some complications right now because, you know, they've got um, um, some teams that have that have you know, become, you know, they've had 14, 15 cases on a team, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know if they're even going to finish Major League Baseball right now. Right. Um, the NFL is, you know, the, the challenge with the NFL is that the NFL, you know, of course doesn't want to have a preseason. The teams do. Uh, the NFL wants to have constant testing basically, you know, on a 
almost on a daily basis, a weekly basis, I should say, because it takes a few days to do it. Um, but they're doing a more faster process of getting the results. Uh, the teams want to, you know, slow that down a little bit. And um, it's it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. Um, I just don't I don't know if we're going to we get it. Training camp starts. Uh, well, it's, it's getting getting underway as we speak. And um, I'm not actually going in this 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 season because of COVID. And um, just doing remotely, yeah. you know, uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, what's interesting is for us on our remote coaching platform, um, it's grown significantly because our athletes were all sent home. Right. Mm-hmm. And I made it a point. I said, look, this is the greatest opportunity that you're ever going to have. And here's the reason why is because you're going to be isolated. And that's what Olympians do. They isolate and master the steps of performing well. So we made sure they had everything, right? And I, that's really the wave of the future, uh, remote coaching is. And I was talking to someone the other day about you know our engagements that we have with each athlete. And because we have a system, we have all the tutorials filmed, we have the workbooks, I mean, everything's laid out, right? It's like a school. Mm-hmm. And doesn't matter what sport it is. And we have more touches and more engagements, excuse me, with our athletes than I remotely than I possibly could in person. There's no possible way I could have this contact, these contacts with these athletes in person. Just don't have the time of the day sure. to do it. Um, and I, I, I think that's, it's really COVID has really tested us in that, in that category. And it, uh, we've been able to prove that it, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely sustainable. And, um, I'm excited been about able it to implement your system. Yeah. You've been able to implement your system in a lot of different venues, probably that you might not have been able to, uh, before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Draws people into an opportunity, as you mentioned, to isolate and to train differently and to train better. Yeah. Um, that's that's a fascinating thing about it, you know. And golf instruction, as as we talked about, has forever used video and certain ways to kind of connect. And for me, it was a challenge. I had to sit back, and I love to be in front of someone. I love to be face-to-face with an individual that I'm working with. And it was definitely a challenge to kind of move into a different direction with that. But I was able to stay connected with a lot of my serious golfers and found ways, as you mentioned, to get – training aids into their hands and hitting nets. And um, one young man bought a, a Mevo, a little flight scope device to kind of measure some things. And, and we conducted our sessions online with FaceTime or Zoom or several right. different technologies and, and kept training. Um, you just have to make some adjustments in, in how you do it and what you do. And uh, it's been very good for me because, like you said, it's it's always a growing process for, for me as a coach. And um, this has just presented a new challenge for all of us. No, it has. And, um, I love it. And I, I love the challenge and, um, I'm, I'm, you know, looking at the voids that are out there and trying and, and filling those voids. And it's, um, it showed that, you know, if, if these remote schools, right, if these online schools can do it, well, why can't we do it? Absolutely. And, and I think they were, they were not prepared nearly as well as you were. I uh, see a lot of the online school curriculums lacking yeah. because they've never been into that medium. So uh, you had all of your, your training uh, components in place and, and systematically there. So it was, it was just a phenomenal opportunity. Because we were doing it with the colleges already, right? And so it bled into that. You know, we're teaching these athletes, you know, how to train. I mean, they film their training, right? They, they have all these segments sure. that they have to do, and they have to film them, and they upload it. And they have all this homework that they have to do. They've got to do training analysis. They got to do performance analysis. And, and we do zoom classes twice a week and they're, they're really, they've really gotten engaged. I mean, you have two pieces, right? Of, of development. You have your skill acquisition and you have your knowledge acquisition Mm -hmm. and everybody tilts towards the physical skill acquisition and the knowledge acquisition skill is really left behind. And I, I have the, the, 
the great opportunity to spend some time with some unbelievable athletes. And, you know, for example, like Drew Brees, you know, if you removed the knowledge acquisition piece from Drew Brees, he'd just be just another run-of-the-mill quarterback. I mean, he can barely see over the line of scrimmage. And he's not a really good runner. And he can't throw the deep ball. But he's breaking all the records. His knowledge acquisition, so he he gets the, we'll use the 10,000 rule, the 10,000 reps on the physical skill acquisition, but he's also got the 10,000 reps on the knowledge acquisition skill. And when those two work together, supported by the self-image, that's how you can become superstars. I mean, look at the three modern-day quarterbacks, you know, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and um, or, uh, uh, the quarterback from the Patriots, um, Tom Brady, right? I mean, those are probably the three. You could probably maybe put Aaron Rodgers in there, but, you know, you look at Peyton Manning, you know, not really a good runner, you know, um, and he could throw the ball extremely well, but what did he do? He redefined calling multiple multiple plays and audibles at the line, changing the play four or five times. That was never done. And you, you can't do that. You don't do that with physical skill, right? Um, it is. It's the knowledge acquisition piece, and I think it's it's a huge piece that miss, that's being missed when we're educating our, our young athletes. It's, you know, everybody just wants to, everybody's so focused on outcome. I mean, the score, scoring is a function of great execution, and winning is the result, Okay, but thinking about winning can pull your focus off of proper execution in a competition. The second your focus shifts to outcome of the shot, outcome of the hole, outcome of the nine, outcome of the event, performance drops drastically. Sean, what would you do for an athlete was physically skilled? Uh, They seem to possess this human emotion or this human trait called laziness or low work ethic. Uh, They don't want to do the work. They don't want to do what's necessary to elevate their physical ability to the highest level. What are some ways that you as a coach might try to take that athlete and get a better performance out of them? I mean, I think the first thing is, is that in order for that to change, they've got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired of where they're at. It's the only way that you're going to, the, the needle is going to begin to move. And they, they got to get to the bottom of, you know what? Okay. I'm, I'm done with this. I mean, just like me with, with coaching. Right. And just like with coach Basham, with this point, he's like, man, I just got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Of, I, I had to, I had to change. So in order to make change, okay. We have to change. Okay. So what has to change? Okay. There's two things that have to change our habits and our attitudes. If we don't change those two things, we're not going to be able to start the course of making a change. And those habits and attitudes have to constantly change all the time. Every time you get better. Because the habits and the attitudes of an Olympian are superior to a professional athlete. They're superior to a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. Professional athletes are superior to the amateurs. The amateurs are superior to the juniors. So the habits and the attitudes constantly have to get better. And, you know, when you set goals, your goals have to be Life changing enough that it changes your habits and your attitudes. If, it, if, you, if you don't, it's not going to be worth it. Wow. Powerful messages today, listeners. I hope you're taking notes as you're listening to Sean Humphreys, uh, Elite Performance Systems. Sean, it's been a great pleasure having you on today, and I know we could talk for hours 
but I think there's no point. Our listeners need to get in touch with you. What's the best way to do that and to get your information and spend time with you? Absolutely. Uh, you, I'm going to give you my, my email address. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at SeanHumphreys.com, and that's Humphreys, H-U-M-P-H-R-I-E-S, Sean at SeanHumphreys.com. That's the easiest way to reach out to me. And you can visit my website at SeanHumphreys.com. You'll see a little bit of the stuff that we're doing there. Um, yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. reach out. I mean, I'd love to just have a dialogue with you because that's all I do is just have dialogue with parents and athletes mm-hmm. just talking about, okay, what are you currently doing? What's the goal? What does it look like? And what does the plan look like to get there? Fantastic. You know, well, I tell you what, my friend, you have put the performance into uh, the most Im- impressive array of, of techniques to develop uh, athletes performance and it's um it's phenomenal it's fascinating and i've i've heard you speak many times and every time it's an inspiration i appreciate what you do for the world i appreciate what you're doing for uh, the industry of golf and other sports abroad and safe travels to you out there as you continue your year and uh, we'll stay in touch i'd like to have you back on the show soon and uh, our listeners reach out to sean Humphreys. sean thanks again for being on today man pleasure thanks again for having me it's been a great pleasure and and, and don't, don't sell yourself short because you're doing excellent work yourself. And I keep up with what you're doing and, and know that it doesn't go unnoticed. Well, thank you, sir. You're, you're a big hero of mine. I really appreciate you saying that. It's very nice. I look forward to seeing all of my golfers uh, reaching out to Sean. Send him a message. Tell him thanks for being on the show. And uh, I know you got something from today. And if you didn't, my goodness, your ears were not plugged in. Please take notes because these are phenomenal pieces of information to help you in your golf and, and anything else that you want to perform at an elite level. Uh, you can put his practices uh, into play, and I'm sure you'll see results. Listeners, this has been The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton. Until next time, I look forward to chatting. You've been listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.